When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Please be seated. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord, and who can stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. I'm glad to be here this morning. I hope you are glad to be here as well. Um, I asked the young people if any of them were being uh, made to come here against their will. None of them confessed that that was true, so let's assume that's right. <laughs> I, I know that I assume that uh, a lot of you are Episcopalians and, and go to this parish or some other parish. Um, I'm assuming that some of you go to some other part of our Lord's Church. You are certainly welcome here as long as you stand up when everybody else stands and sit when they stand. <laughs> we'll never know the difference. <laughs> Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? And one was a doctor and one was a queen, and one was a shepherdess on the green. They were all of them saints of God, and I mean God helping to be one too.
So how do you get to be a saint? Not maybe a saint that some church would put on a stained glass window or remember your day throughout history, but what are those doctors and queens and shepherdesses on the green? How do you become a saint? Do you have to live a saintly life? Would that be boring? Would the people all around you think, oh, how uncool you are to be saintly all the time? I'm 62 years old. I've been an Episcopalian all my life. I've been ordained for 37 years. I have a master's degree in divinity and an honorary doctorate. I'm about as educated as I can stand myself. <laughs> and I think about this kind of stuff and I, I wonder about this, being a saint. When I was a kid, mom and dad made us go to Sunday school every week and the rector's wife would take us back into the chapel because she knew that we couldn't sit through that whole long service. And we would sing, I sing a song of the saints of God, patient and brave and true almost every week. I guess she only knew three or four songs on the piano and that was one of them. <laughs> and one was a soldier and one was a priest and one was slain by a fierce wild beast. I knew I couldn't be a soldier and I didn't want to be slain by a fierce wild beast. <laughs> so I became a priest instead. <laughs> and I still want to be a saint. I still want to be one of those people who is, has a pure heart and clean hands But it's difficult. It is difficult. One of the things that I didn't understand when I was elected bishop was that I would have to go to general convention every three years. I had um, taken every opportunity I had up until then to not go to general convention. <laughs> but now I, I'm kind of serving a life sentence to be at general convention every three years. Um, and I'm invited to be, that's not right, I am told that I will be on the committee of the General Convention. For six years, I was on the Standing Commission on Liturgy and Music, which was sort of at the eye of the storm about same-sex blessings, same-sex weddings, all that stuff. And then when the church was thinking maybe we should reorganize the whole thing, I was on that committee for one General Convention. And last time I was on the program budget and finance, the standing commission, standing commission for program budget and finance, PBNF. I tried to tell the presiding bishop, who's a good guy, that I have no business being on a finance committee. I don't do very well with spreadsheets. Numbers are generally boring to me. And he said, no, we need somebody there that understands the program of the church, not just the budget and finance. I said, okay. And I did it and tried to sort of stay out of the way. Part of the, 
proceedings is that you have hearings and like every budget, you have this much kind of, here's what we would like to do and you have about this much money so you have to either increase the money or decrease what we're gonna do and it's a kind of a tug of war the whole time. In that process, we would have hearings and people would come and tell us the things that they're excited about. And the members of the committee would encourage them to tell us whether we thought we were gonna be able to fund it or not. There was a group of people that came and made several presentations having to do with Christian education. We were trying to cut $12 million out of the budget, $12 million. And so we were cutting a whole bunch of things and they had the idea that we were gonna cut theirs and so they came and made all these presentations one after another, passionate about this thing that they thought was very important and it is. After about one too many of those, one of the other people on the committee just sort of rolled his eyes. Not so that everybody could see it, just so that the committee could see it. And one of the other people said, they're so naive and idealistic. And then the old guy, every committee is kind of necessarily has an old guy, the curmudgeon of the committee, it's a necessary role. They're not appointed or elected, they just sort of emerge. <laughs> Look around next time you're on a committee, you'll find the old committee. So one person rolled their eyes and somebody else said they're so innocent and naive and idealistic. And the old guy, the curmudgeon said, I missed that. I missed that. I try to imagine back in the day, it must have been a long time ago when this guy was idealistic and innocent. And the truth of it is that we're in a time where idealism is sort of not very popular. We're in a time where we are more likely to be skeptical or cynical or hard. I don't know if you can be a saint and be skeptical. I don't, I don't think you can be a saint and have your heart hardened by the cares and worries of the day. I think we Christians, young and old, have to hang on to the idealism that makes us who we are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Is that a realistic idea in 2018? Can you really love your neighbor as much as you love yourself? All those people you're stuck in traffic with, if you get out in Birmingham at the wrong time of the day, can you really love them? Can you really love the people who are so obnoxious about pulling for the other football team? You know, not the good guys, the bad guys. Can you really love a liberal? 
Can you really love a conservative? Can you really love somebody you disagree with? Can you really love somebody who has hurt you? Can you really turn the other cheek? Can you really love somebody enough to forgive them? Enough to ask for forgiveness? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You're kind of swimming against the current. It's not what our culture is teaching us right now. We look down on people who identify as idealists as if they are silly or stupid or not in touch with the real world. But I think part of our job as Christians, whether we're Episcopalians or Methodists or Baptists or Catholic or anybody else, is to stand up for the values and ideals that we learn from Jesus Christ our Lord and try to live our lives by them. And we'll get bumped up a little bit. And you get stepped on a little bit. And people might even accuse you of being religious, oh my. And that's when I think we need to stand up and say, dang right, I'm religious. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. There, I said it right out loud. I follow Jesus. And I think what he had to say a long time ago has something to do with how I live my life. And I hope it has something to do with how you live yours. The alternative, I suppose, is that we could just file all this away under things you say on Sunday morning and not let it have anything to do with Tuesday afternoon or Thursday night. But I hope we don't. In a little bit here, I, I will stop preaching, I'm pretty sure. I always have before. <laughs> and we'll get on to, with baptism and confirmation and reception and reaffirmation. Your role as a congregation is to stand up and support these people who are offering themselves into this part of God's church. We will reaffirm our baptismal vows. Uh, you don't have to remember anything, it's all in the bulletin. And I will say, do you believe in God? God, what a question. Really, really and truly. Not just because mama said I should, but because that's part of my life. Do you believe in God? I hope that you do, and I hope you'll say it loud like you really mean it. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? 
and we'll go through the Apostles' Creed in sort of a question and answer form. And then I come to, we, go, we all come to five really difficult questions. Will you continue in the Apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in the prayers? Even if your friends don't think it's cool. Even if it's inconvenient. Even if Saturday night went on a little bit too long. Even if your bishop or some other bishop turns out to be a bonehead and says something you don't like. Will you continue? Will you persevere in resisting evil and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? When you realize that you've turned away from God in your life, will you, will you have enough honesty within yourself to turn back around? Will you proclaim the good news of the love of God in Jesus Christ? Not just the deacon, not just the priest, not just the bishop, not just the old people. Will you live your life in such a way that other people think, wow, something's going on. Something that I, I'd like to be a part of. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons? Loving your neighbor as yourself. All persons. It seems to me that we're doing a really bad job of that. Could we just say that we're going to love them all? Just love them all, not because they deserve it, but because they're God's children too. We strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being. Now that is idealism. That is, in the face of everything else that's coming our way, will you stand up and live by the ideals that we've been taught in our faith? I hope you will. I hope I will. And maybe if we start doing that and encourage other people to do that, we can do something about the world we live in. and the idea that the church is sort of slipping away from us all. Congratulations to those who are being confirmed and received and reaffirming their vows and their families who support them. When you get to be 62 years old and more of your life is behind you than before you, I hope that you'll be able to say, I did my best to be an idealist and live my faith, live my life in the values that I was taught at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church and live my life in hope and in faith and in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.